Welcome to Europa Rama, a podcast series about science fiction and the future of Europe. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Are We Europe, the podcasting family and magazine which collectively asks the question what it means to be European. My name is Giuseppe Porcaro and I'm the author of Disco Sour, a novel about Europe and democracy in the age of algorithms. In each episode, I talk to a fellow writer and together we explore and create a fictional future scenario for the old continent. Today, I'm happy to host not one, but two authors from Czech Republic, Julie Novakova and Vilma Kadlechkova. Hi, Julie. Hello. Hi, Vilma. Hello. So they are both connected via Skype. If there are some glitches, I apologize in advance with our listeners. A brief information about uh, our two authors today. So Vilma has written the comprehensive pentalogy Mycelium, a complex work in which humanity is merely a less advanced species within the universe. And the majority of her works belong to the so-called legend of Argenite cycle. These are tales on the boundary of science fiction and fantasy, mapping the future history of the universe, which is similar to ours, but which contains Argenite. Argenite is some sort of fictional mineral serving as a source of energy with psychotronic powers. Vilma received the Book of the Year Award from the Czech Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy and Horror and the Best Original Czech and Slovak Book of the Year in 2013. Julie is not only an author and a translator, but also an evolutionary biologist and takes a keen interest in planetary science. She has published short fiction in Clark's World, Asimov, Analog and elsewhere. Some of her works have been tra- also translated into Chinese, Romanian, Estonian, German, Filipino and Portuguese. And she received the Encouragement Award of the European Science Fiction and Fantasy Society in 2013, the Aeronautilus Award for the Best Czech Short Story of 2014 and 15, and for the Best Novel of 2015. And she's currently polishing her first novel in English and translating more Czech stories into English. So as you see, we have very, very, very interesting guests today. And I would like to start our exploration of the future, this time going a little bit wild. I would like to imagine with you, Julie and Vilma, what could happen in the future if the past of our continent at some point turned in a radical different direction? So for instance, I mean, my, my prompt, my first question to you would be like, how, how would Europe look in 2069 if, for example, we would have some sort of continuity with the feudal system of the Middle Ages? I know it's a little bit wild, but uh, let's, let's try to brainstorm a little bit. Uh, who would like to start? This really is a wild speculation. And we need to think uh, where the history should diverge uh, to achieve such future. Because if we look at how corporations started, the first uh, organization that is widely called as a corporation is the East India Company, which uh, was created in England around 1600, already in the Renaissance, uh, but it had a continuity from the Middle Ages and still It was the start of modern corporations as we know them now. So we need to uh, 
put this aside somehow, perhaps try to diminish England's influence. We can think about something such as an epidemic that would wipe out the majority of uh, English people before the Renaissance, or we can think of uh, some other country gaining much more of an influence before England grew as a colonial power. Vilma, what would you add to that? It's a very wide, a wild idea to think that uh, probably nobility or some kind of uh, feudal system could continue. In fact, I don't uh, believe it's it's possible, but it could be very very uh, wild and uh, interesting idea. It could uh, continue to the future, and uh, there could be some, uh, let's say. Um, companies uh, of uh, noble noble houses i can imagine some chernin uh, spaceship or something like that yeah and uh, although we're speaking about the future of europe i think that probably the place where something like this might have originated if things uh, have gone differently is china because china in let's say the middle ages uh, and later We could have seen rich noble families also had large businesses. And in Europe, most of the nobility didn't exactly meddle in uh, business in the stricter sense of the word. If we want continuity from really the European feudal system in the Middle Ages, it's quite hard to imagine more contact with other parts uh, of the world might achieve that. But frankly, I'm not sure uh, whether this would have been possible because such contact was, of course, possible and ongoing, but it didn't have so much influence on the European nobility. We had uh, the wild tales by Marco Polo, and we're still not sure uh, what he really visited and what was just his imagination and so on. Let's think, for example, you know... um Europe um, at its uh, splendor, let's say, uh, when Philip V, for example, was like ruling almost all Europe, you know, like it was almost united, you know, it was like uh, under under one one uh, one house, and um, and to a certain extent, it was ruling the Mediterranean, and um, at that at that stage, I mean, you might think also about quite some cash flow that uh, even if, you know, China certainly might have been one of the initiators of these enterprises by by, um, by by royal, I mean, like noble families, um, you will you will have quite some cash flow from from Venice, from Florence, and um, even the, the, the south of Spain, I mean, Valencia and so on, there was like quite, quite uh, uh, rich, like the first banks and stuff like that. What if, what if, for example, those kind of cash flows, which were coming from the trade with, with, the, with the East back then, I mean, we're speaking um, of, of, the, of the Silk Roads and stuff like that, could have at some point put into enterprises that... Uh, slowly would have um, would have reached uh, a certain level of technology back into the past but not not that far from from the past where the industrial revolution has happened but that instead of uh, let's say giving rise to uh, uh, being pushed by the bourgeoisie that was starting to um, 
to to grow, but was pushed by uh, the, the 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 noble families and um, and maybe a totally different kind of Europe would have raised out of this scenario. Yeah, and you mentioned the Italians these days, such as Venice or Florence or Naples, and in fact, uh, the Mediterranean region with Greece and Italy uh, might have given rise to more technology if uh, the continuity from ancient Greece uh, was larger in terms of, uh, you know, the technological progress. But unfortunately, uh, the ancient Greeks didn't think of, uh, for example, uh, steam as something that we might put to use uh, uh, to, uh, you know, work fields uh, or uh, in something such as primitive factories, because uh, in ancient Greece, most of the uh, scholars considered these things uh, more arts uh, than we would call science or technology. And since there uh, was slave labor, there wasn't exactly uh, so much uh, need to try to use technology to alleviate uh, the workload. If we could reduce slave labor in ancient Greece, we might actually end up uh, with more technological progress uh, at that time and then uh, move to the Middle Ages and uh, let, for example, the noble families in Venice uh, use more technology and expand And then in the 2069, we might see a future where the noble families would build space elevators or try to. <laughs> so let, let's imagine this 2069 where the royal families or noble families actually achieve that. I mean, for, for how much that could be, uh, have been quite um, an hazard of history that didn't happen but let's let's try let's try to imagine how this Europe would would look like and how the world would look like in 2069 with um, with these ro royal families and so on having having those space enterprises Vilma I, I recall um, Neil Stephenson's uh, novel uh, Snow Crash uh, And uh, th there were some franchise states, uh, some private states uh, owned by uh, private companies uh, or even mafia and so on. Uh, but uh, it, to it took place in Northern America. So uh, if it uh, took place uh, somewhere in Europe, there could be some, how, how you said, uh, noble families owning uh, these states or something like that. I'm not sure if there there could be some union. They they would be private and isolated. And so, for example, let's say that we we would have some sort of guild or or like a federation of of royal families that would instead of owning kingdoms and and land, they would substitute what is the role of of tech giants today, for example. Yeah, but you mentioned guilds, Giuseppe, and. There weren't uh, exactly many uh, noblemen in guilds, right? Because guilds were formed uh, mostly by artisans or the bourgeois, uh, as we might call it. 
So I'm not sure if uh, this is the best example. True, true. I just used the word guilds, but uh, it's probably not the right word to use. How would it be called if it would be like a serious, uh, so, some sort of consortium of of, um, of noble families which would put together money and build a moon base, you know? Yes. In the Middle Ages, there was actually a Czech king uh, called Jiris Vojebrat, who had the idea of uniting Europe under something that distantly resembled what we have now as the European Union. But it's really just a very distant comparison because the mindset was very different. And I must admit that, to me, it's most interesting to imagine what Europe might look like in the future if uh, we changed the course of history in the 20th century, because I'm not so well versed uh, in the history of the Middle Ages and of the Renaissance and so on. But I really do like modern history, especially the Belle Epoque and uh, the unfortunate periods of uh, the world wars and the time between them. And I always wondered, what the world would have looked like if Austria-Hungary didn't give oh, such a harsh ultimatum to Serbia, if Franz Ferdinand Este oh, wasn't killed in Sarajevo and so on. And in my opinion, there still oh, would have been something such as the First World War, because if we look at oh, the oh, accounts from oh, the time we can see the tension uh, between especially uh, Germany and France and to a slightly lesser extent uh, Germany and uh, England. So it seems likely to me that something would have sparked uh, some kind of conflict, likely between Germany and France and probably England and Russia uh, would have been drawn into that as well. Austria-Hungary as Germany's ally too, but it might have uh, been a conflict that uh, would have been less disastrous and uh, something that uh, states such as Austria-Hungary would have survived. So to a certain extent, still some sort of continuity from 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 the royal uh, or noble past, you know, from the ancien regime. To, to the future. I mean, that's that's kind of consistent with, with our first um, first idea, even if it's a little bit later in time. And um, how do you think this would have impacted uh, the space race, for example? Well, I think that uh, the space race uh, would have been very different because uh, we actually got it because of the Cold War between the US and Soviet Russia. So... Uh, what would have been uh, the principal uh, push that uh, would make people want to uh, go to space as soon as possible? Because, uh, I mean, even in a very early 20th century, uh, people such as Konstantin Tsiolkovsky in Russia were not only fantasizing about going to space, but actually uh, computing the uh, equations needed to go there and uh, other people uh, slightly afterwards, such as Bob Goddard, uh, uh, 
And in Europe, Werner von Braun uh, actually uh, wanted to try it uh, in practice. So we would have seen uh, a space race between Germany and England or Germany and the US. Uh, or if uh, the equivalent uh, of the First World War in that alternate timeline uh, left, for example, Germany uh, as defeated as the First World War uh, did, then we might have seen uh, a rise uh, in Czech scientists if uh, there was something uh, to, you know, give Czechs uh, more equal power within Austria-Hungary. There were some attempts to do that, but the royal family was kind of split on the issue. If the Czechs would have been within the within the frame of the Austria an Austro-Hungarian Empire that would have survived somehow. Uh, pushing towards this innovation and and going to the moon it sounds like a very interesting premise for uh, for, a, for a science fiction a story of of Europe which which would be different yes and uh, people uh, in uh, Austria Hungary and later Czechoslovakia were fantasizing about trips to the moon uh, and there is uh, an old Czech uh, science fiction uh, slash fantasy uh, called Mr. Bocek's Trip to the Moon. And in the end, we learned that uh, actually it was a dream. <laughs> But uh, there were more authors who uh, dreamt of going uh, to the moon and even further. And uh, the mood in the society was... Uh, Favor favorable for science and technology. So maybe by by 2069, actually, we would have a Europe which would be like the leader into the space exploration, and the leaders of this space exploration will be either royal families from 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 Middle Europa or, or other uh, kind of enterprises which would. Uh, which stem from them, you know, that, that's, uh, that would be really uh, a very interesting kind of alternative future based on an alternative past. Vilma, what would you add to that? question is, what about Russia? Hmm. Uh, it's a great power. And um, let's imagine if there uh, wasn't a revolution in uh, 1917 um, uh, and um, communists uh, never get to power, could be completely different uh, future and uh, this European part of uh, Russia could uh, be part of uh, such state or uh, union you described. There would have been have to be uh, some really great reform in Russia at the time because revolutions were brewing uh, there already from uh, early 20th century. After all, in 1905, uh, There were many uh, attempts at the revolution in Russia, and they ultimately failed. But uh, it was a close call. And then uh, there were riots uh, some years later as well. So in the end, uh, the First World War was just the last nail in the coffin of Russia that enabled the communist revolution. But if they reformed the country uh, before the war or if the war never happened, yes, we might actually have seen Russia uh, 
as a uh, royal superpower. The Romanov family maybe could have joined those kind of uh, pseudo-capitalistic endeavors towards technology and maybe they could have been part of this, uh, you know, different new uh, technological uh, spurt that um, that was raising, like some sort of, uh, you know, like in, in this time of, um, like even already in the 19th century, you had this, um, some of the royal uh, families which were trying to... Um, to give money for technology. I mean, I come I come from Napoli originally, and um, the the Bourbons were were like financing uh, one of the first railways in um, in Europe in uh, the mid of the 19th century. So uh, I also could think somehow, uh, like in the Renaissance, you would have had Michelangelo, and you would have had you know all these artists that were like. Uh, being uh, sustained by by uh, um, nobles families somehow having the same thing for for spurting new new technology and and new new discoveries um, I mean I speaking about I mean thinking about Leonardo da Vinci in the um, again in the in the Renaissance you know uh, think about if somehow Einstein for example could have been uh, uh, instead of uh, uh, um, a normal scientist, but some sort of scientist that would have been employed by one of those royal families. And, uh, you know, um, I, I'm just thinking about this kind of setting for, for imagining uh, some sort of environment where actually new discoveries could have been not only, um, not only uh, driven by uh, somehow profit, uh, as it is right now, but maybe driven by just some sometimes even uh, uh, the the idea of doing something that is bizarre and and grandiose, you know, some sort. You know, I'm thinking about even uh, uh, Louis XIV and, and and things like that, like things that were magnificent, that were a lot of money spent, but not necessarily for a clear purpose. And I, I imagine if some of this money could have put in in some crazy. Uh, technological or, or scientific inventions, what what we could have ha in, in in that in that uh, imagined future? Yeah, we can actually imagine uh, universities being less autonomous and being uh, backed more by the noble families because already in the Middle Ages, universities were kind of uh, autonomous agents and uh, were more akin to corporations as we know them and you know uh, less controlled by the nobility so if this were different uh, we might actually uh, see universities belonging to the European royal families and each competing for uh, the primacy in uh, landing on the moon or sending a space probe to Venus and uh, we might all uh, imagine uh, a future where uh, these universities would uh, eventually cooperate to achieve larger goals because that's what we see in the world right now. In the space race uh, in the 60s, uh, last century, uh, it was uh, very competitive and uh, there was no chance of the US and uh, Soviet Russia cooperating. That only came later, for example, uh, with the first uh, rendezvous of their spacecraft. But it was after uh, the principal part of the space race and the uh, moon landings. So uh, today we see efforts such as uh, 
this uh, vision by uh, the European Space Agency's Director General Jan Werner uh, called uh, the uh, Moon Village. And Werner imagines uh, different countries, universities, corporations, uh, and other entities cooperating uh, in creating uh, uh, not just uh, a stable human presence on the moon, but also more robotic exploration and mining and so on. And all these activities would support each other and make the whole effort uh, less costly for the individual agents. So in this alternate future, we might uh, see, for example, uh, cooperation from uh, the German and Austro-Hungarian ruling families in uh, putting uh, a base on the uh, South Pole uh, of the moon and uh, trying to build a radio telescope there uh, to get to more, uh, to learn more about the universe. Wow, that would be kind of impressive, you know. Like also what impresses me in this scenario, it's, and I, I would say something that I would like to see more in the Europe that we have today, is this kind of uh, uh, leading role that, that the continent would have in, um, in, in, in being the, the vanguard of, uh, of human uh, presence in, in, in space, but also in general on, on innovation and so on. I mean, we, we, we speak today quite a lot about the need for, for Europe to be more um, on a leading partner, especially now that we have China on one side and the US on the other side. Uh, and 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 like innovation champions and all these kind of discussions that we have, and I I feel like in this kind of alternate future past, uh, somehow Europe would would um, would still keep the role of the innovator within within the rest of uh, of the world, and that is quite uh, quite interesting as a hypothesis. Vilma, do you want to add something? Um maybe uh, speaking about this innovations and leading role uh, and about Europe, there is uh, another issue uh, and another reason why Europe is uh, now not uh, in such a leading role. Um, we <laughs> we would uh, like to, to see it. Um, and um, it's uh, aging of population. I'm afraid that... Um, just from biological uh, point of view, population which doesn't reproduce uh, itself and doesn't grow has to extinct. <laughs> so I am afraid that uh, Europe is uh, growing older and um, that's the main reason uh, why we are uh, not uh, such a leading force now in the world and why, uh, why China and, uh, and other parts of the world uh, is more in, in power or um, innovative and so on. And, and how would you see uh, this, this the issue of aging population, for instance, be uh, tackled in this uh, alternative uh, universe that we are imagining here? Imagine some gerontocracy. 
some uh, kind of future where people are more older. I would like to build on this ger- gerontocracy idea. I mean, there is one field of studies which is uh, quite um, on the intersection between science fiction and actually and actual science, which is um, anti-aging uh, kind of um, studies, which uh, borders with neuroscience and stuff like that, like uh, regeneration of um, brain cells and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm kind of thinking that in a, um, in a setting of the future where you would have royal families and, and, and noblery, Somehow, one of the things that comes to my mind, maybe because when I see some movies about, I mean, I recently see The Favorite, um, where where there is this uh, this this very sick Queen of England, and uh, I, I'm just thinking that maybe one of the obsession of of nobles was to stay in power, and one of the obsession of nobles was was to keep to keep their youth, you know. This is also like some sort of Faust uh, kind of Faustian kind of uh, of idea. So I imagine also that these noble people getting so much money instead of the big corporations and going to the moon and so on would probably have huge labs, maybe maybe I don't know in some caves of the Tatra mountains or something like that, and and basically they would they would uh, hire people from everywhere in the world to trying to find the source of youth and um, and. and and to stay in power. I mean, when you speak about gerontocracy, I mean, this is kind of the image, a little bit more dystopian kind of side of, of to, to the to the universe that we are discussing. But kind of thinking about these, um, I don't know, these these royal families which want to clip their blood uh, young. And I think there could be some enhancement, um, maybe uh, some uh, also some kibernetic. Uh, things they add to their bodies and so on. Yeah, exactly. So it could be really something that is in between a frightening future because to a certain extent you have uh, technology, you have uh, Europe leading for many things, but on the other hand you have also some dark sides which were the dark side that led the feudal system actually to collapse at some point. Yes, if we imagine the kind of future feudal Europe, what would be the role of free speech if we had continuity from the feudal times, so then there might never have something like the United Nations or it would have been very different, such a worldwide, uh, you know, push to... Uh, have human rights and to try to have them universally, not just in isolated parts of the world. And I'm afraid that in this alternate future, uh, although it might seem very appealing and, you know, noble, both literally and metaphorically, uh, would be probably worse than our own world from the point of view of individual freedom. Indeed, indeed. So uh, I think that um, on this note, which is a little bit uh, more bitter, but it allows us to... uh, to round up a little bit this universe, not only shedding the lights, but as well sh- the shadows of, uh, of it. I would, I would say that uh, this brings us to the end of this episode. And um, I would like to thank uh, both Julie and Vilma for, for joining us. Bye, Giuseppe, and thank you for having us. Bye, and thank you. In the next episode, I will be joined by Andrei Ivanov, a Russian-speaking author from Latvia. We are going to explore a possible utopia for a future of Europe where people will ride horses, play theater in the street, 
and robots will work for all of us. Looking forward to it. Until next time, bye-bye.